no shirt, no shoes, no service. But you might just be able to win an Olympic marathon. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's other reasons we can't win an Olympic marathon. No, no. It's the shoes? Just the shoes. (laughs) Oh, okay then. (laughs) I'm Nigel Fish. And I'm Katie Marshall. And this is the Sci Runner Podcast, your science-based look at all things running. Hey, Nigel. Katie. Do you uh, do you wear minimalist shoes? Um, not not currently. I have in the past. Ah, so me too. I I bought the hype. You bought bought in. Uh, I bought in. Well, you know, a little bit. Thought I'd give them a try. You know, it was a new thing on the market. Might as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I I have to admit, I've been pretty curious about uh, whether or not. Uh, they're any good and by any good i mean whether they fix your injuries and and make everything about your running so much better and uh, unfortunately we're at the at the point where science is just now starting to catch up with uh, some of the claims that were made 6 7 years ago when when minimalist shoes really first hit the market right right but we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves maybe we yes. should start at the beginning yeah let's start at the beginning um and talk about what exactly minimalist running is and barefoot running, I guess, is covered by the sort of greater topic of minimalist running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're um, going to mention both minimalist shoes and barefoot shoes in this episode. Um, and, and we'll sort of talk a little bit about their differences as well. So, so Nigel, when did humans begin barefoot running? I'm assuming sometime after we came down from the trees. I would, I would suspect so, yes. Um, Those I, hipster cavemen. Yeah, hipster came in running running barefoot before it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, there, there was originally humans were barefoot runners, and if you buy into the persistence hunting hypothesis, I think it's called, uh, then you know that was actually originally what humans were was runners, and that's why we're runners. Yes, it's just um, a hypothesis. But just a hypothesis, but we should do a whole episode on that sometime. We probably will. We're, we'll talk about the evolution of running in another time. But right now, we're talking about the evolution of barefoot running. Who were the, who were the first barefoot runners? Um, you know, at least in modern times. I mean, we could talk about old times, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we're not a history podcast. Yeah, this isn't history. So, but yeah, the so I think probably one of the more famous barefoot runners of the modern times was a guy named Bicola who ran in the 1960 marathon in Rome and he ran it barefoot. I think he was probably the first like Olympic barefoot runner. I don't think so actually. I think there was a guy who did it earlier on but I'd have to double check. Right. It might just be the first guy who won. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah and and now I think what's important in with this guy was that he wasn't running barefoot to make a statement or because that's how he planned on it he was a hipster yeah he he actually ran barefoot because uh they didn't have shoes in his size <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was, no. essentially was what it happened the the shoe sponsor adidas messed up and uh didn't have the right shoes for him or were very uncomfortable or something like so that so running barefoot was better than running in shoes that uh didn't fit eh yeah and i mean he had trained barefoot uh because he was from ethiopia and you know a lot of runners in ethiopia and Ken- kenya train barefoot anyways um, but yeah, but actually it was not on purpose. And he did that marathon in the time of 2.15. Not bad, not bad. Which is pretty good. When I got my half under that, I felt pretty good. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, and then, but I mean, kind of funny was he did then run his next marathon with shoes 
on. And he did that in 213, no, 212. So shoes are better then. Yeah, clearly. I mean, you, you knock three minutes off your time. Clearly. So, so uh, Dre's out then. <laughs> podcast done. Yeah. This has been the Side Runner podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and you know, there's some other funny stuff that happened there. The, the other runners made fun of him. They, they saw him and said, okay, well, there's a guy that we can definitely beat because he doesn't have shoes. And they were definitely wrong. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. I suppose maybe Fidipides. Do you think Fidipides ran barefoot? Yeah, I think there was some discussion I saw somewhere when I was researching this episode that suggested he probably would have were in like really thin sandals, so close to. Right. Yeah, so he was possibly the first marathon barefoot runner. Uh, no, actually. Uh, oh, well, you I mean Fidipides. Fidipides, technically yes. the first marathon. <laughs> he was the first marathon or the first one barefoot. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. got the, all the firsts. Um, but yeah, there was, I think, another guy who ran first uh, barefoot. Uh, Len Tao, who's a Swana tribesman representing South Africa and St. Louis in 1904. He finished ninth, which like still is pretty good. I mean, I'd be happy if I came in ninth in the Olympic marathon. <laughs> yeah. And of course, since then, there have been quite a lot of barefoot runners that have gained notoriety um, in different races, the Olympics and otherwise. Uh, there's South African runners, Zola Bud. Um, there's, oh man, so many. Kenyan runner, Tegla Laroupe. I don't know if that's how that's how you say it. Um, and yeah, and oh, Tegla Roop actually is kind of interesting. She she was the one who would run barefoot to school every day. Oh, so good strong feet. Yeah, and 10k I think to to school every day at the age of seven. Wow. Yeah, I was not running 10ks at no. at the age of seven. Yeah, I was not running barefoot to to school either. And yeah, and there's lots of other runners, Rick Rober. Who's run more than fifty marathons all barefoot? He's done actually over over twenty seven thousand kilometers barefoot, which is a lot. Yeah, seriously. Um, there's a bunch of other ones: Ken Bob Saxton, Todd Byers, Nick Surings, lots. <laughs> so basically, this is uh, you're telling it's, me that chances are running barefoot will not kill you. No, it won't. It won't kill you, and it's quite popular. And I I wouldn't say increasing in popularity anymore now. <laughs> Yeah, there was definitely a, a peak in interest, I would say, um, that uh, may have been associated with the uh, the release of a certain book. Yeah, a certain book and some certain shoes yes. that came out um, in the early knots. In the early knots. Is that what it's called? I thought they were the noughties. <laughs> the noughties, the early noughties? Yeah. The 90s or no, the 2000s, right? Yes, the 2000s. Um, yeah. But, uh, okay, so... Yeah, so I mean that's sort of the brief history, very brief history. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is it we're talking about when we talk about barefoot, minimalist, traditional, or otherwise running shoes? Yeah, it's a little surprisingly complicated. Um, I've seen some shoes that that build themselves as minimalist, and the reason for that is because the heel drop wasn't that that low. So heel drop is just the difference in height between the heel and the forefoot, and so you could have like a really padded shoe, but because it's a flat like base of of the shoe like where your foot is then it's considered having zero heel drop which is not not the way i think of a minimalist shoe but is one of the aspects of minimalist shoes yeah and there's also i think that might be called racing flats i'm not really sure (laughs) oh racing flats are are the really unpadded ones so right but i mean the ones it's kind of funny that you say that because the shoes that i'm running with that i went running with today Mm. they build them as racing flats oh weird and they are 
Definitely I mean, not. <laughs> I know, but they're flat. Like they're the zero heel drop. Mm. They're that part is flat. Right. And so for some reason, I think they just want to. I don't know. They don't want to call them minimalist anymore right. because. That fad kind of died. But for the record, you could have a very minimalist shoe. I've got these uh, Merrill Pace gloves that are, they basically kind of feel like a ballet slipper on my foot. They feel amazing, actually. They feel like I'm wearing like just socks, like a little more thick socks. They're really comfortable. Um, And they're super minimalist. They're like super flexible shoes, but they don't have those like individual little toe boxes like the Vibram Five Fingers. So if you're listening to this and you think minimalist shoes are only those five finger shoes, that's definitely not the case. You can have minimalist shoes that are just look like a normal shoe, just not with much padding. Yeah. And you can even have more minimalist than that. You can have like the sandals. Yeah. So the huaraches. Yeah. The huaraches. Yes. That uh, uh, made famous by the book that shall be named later in this episode yeah Uh (laughs) but the army has actually banned the five-fingered shoes but they're okay with the minimalist with minimalist shoes in general right it's just the 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 appearance of them was deemed unprofessional i i really enjoy this actually their (laughs) official statement there are a variety of minimalist running shoes available for purchase and wear effective immediately only those shoes that accommodate all five toes in one compartment are authorized for wear those shoes that feature five separate individual compartments for the toes detract from a professional military image and are prohibited for wear with the IPFU or when conducting physical training in military formation. They look silly. You don't look scary with them on. Don't wear them. Going into a combat zone with Vibram Five Figures. I don't know. I, don't, I think that would look hilarious, <laughs> but or look look pretty pretty cool. But I think it'd be kind of cute. But yeah. you know, I yeah maybe it's not the appearance they want. It's not intimidating enough, I guess. Yeah, probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, interestingly, as all the other departments, Marines and Air Force and such, did not ban them or anything. So it was only right. the Army. Yeah. So Marines, I think Marines just look tough in general. So you know, the five fingers are okay. Yeah. So what shall we name the book? The book that shall be named. <laughs> right. So the book, the book that made a lot of this topic popular, the minimalist running and the barefoot running and so on, was Born to Run. Because baby, we were born to run. Wow, I really can't sing. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the the book Born to Run popularized minimalist running, uh, popularized barefoot running. And I think really, you know, also because it popularized it and really spurred the scientific community to to start studying some of the the biomechanics of of minimalist and barefoot running for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this book, too, it got a lot of people interested in running in general. Which is uh, definitely, did, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic thing. I like it. Yeah. I mean, it did make the bestseller list or whatever. Um, you know, and I had some friends who had taken a break from running for whatever reason and read it and then got all motivated and, you know, pumped up to go running again. But because it was a it was a really good, you know, interesting story, I guess. So now that we've said all these nice things about it, are are, are we going to go Cy Runner on it? Yeah. So we are going to examine some of the claims uh, made in, in the book um, throughout this podcast. There are some, you know, I would say extreme claims made in the book and and. T- you know, at the po- point when the book was published, they were really just hypotheses um, that maybe it wasn't made very clear in the book that they were hypotheses. But we now have some good evidence uh, since the book was published that that actually examines whether or not these hypotheses are true. Yeah. And just as a sort of set the stage for some of these claims, there's a quote from the book uh, that says, blaming the running injury epidemic on big bag Nike seems too easy. But that's okay, because it's largely their fault. 
Right. And and this is really one of the central claims of the book is that uh, injury rates, um, high injury rates in runners are a result of our overly padded, um, complicated, thick, heavy shoes that keep us from running the natural way that our paleo caveman ancestors uh, ran. So it's paleo running. It's really promoting. Right, right. And yeah, I mean, we're not going to talk about paleo diet, but <laughs> okay, so the general claim from that book and others have made, I guess, um, is that running barefoot or in minimalist shoes is better for you because it is the way we evolved to run. Is, right. that, is that about right? Yeah, I would say that's a fair, fair analogy. And, and you know, I think we have to acknowledge that, yes, Born to Run sort of put this claim out there, but it is something that's been written about in the scientific literature along around the same time as Born to Run was published. So Daniel Lieberman is a evolutionary biologist at Harvard, and he's really um, one of the major uh, researchers that's been studying minimalist or barefoot running. And so he had a paper that came out about the same time as Born to Run that basically laid out these the claims that the book did in in a more sort of um, scientific sort of way. And what he said was, uh, from an evolutionary perspective, barefoot running is as natural as barefoot walking, or for that matter, doing anything else our hunter-gatherer ancestors did, such as nursing infants. Therefore, it is incorrect to consider barefoot running a fad or even intrinsically dangerous. In short, injury rates don't appear to have dropped in the past 30 years despite progression in running shoe technology. Why is that? Right. So he's I mean, obviously he buys into the, or he believes in the persistence hunting hypothesis. I well, really want to bring that into another I, podcast, but. No, I think really he's not, he's not saying that here. He's saying, huh. so the persistence hypo, uh, running hypothesis, right, is that we evolved to have the anatomical form we did right. because of um, the selective pressures based on persistence hun hunting. Okay. So, but this does sound maybe like an appeal to nature. Definitely. And yeah. and this is kind of an interesting thing because an appeal to nature is actually a, a logical fallacy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's uh, an argument or rhetorical tactic in which uh, a thing is good because it is natural or bad because it is unnatural. Right. So that's pretty much anything paleo, paleo diet, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. To um, say that it's it's better for us because it's a natural way kind of forgets the fact that chemophobia or chemophobia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that, you know, this idea that somehow technological progress is inherently bad is, is kind of, it's, there's just no evidence for it. Either it's bad or it's not. Yeah. You can't, you can't use it that as your sole premise for determining whether something is good or bad. Right. Uh, the other things he sort of talked about in this paper was that um, he, he says that the human body was adapted to running in a barefoot style whose kinematic characteristics. So kinematic characteristics are just how it moves through space and how it interacts with sort of the world around it. Um, so if you run barefoot, you generate less forceful impact peaks. So there's less force when you hit the ground. Sorry, that's his claim. Yes, this is his claim um, that if you are running barefoot, you produce less forceful impact. So you hit the ground with less force and you're less likely to become injured. And uh, the other sort of question that he's he's suggesting is that um, that maybe how one runs is more important than what's on one's feet. So the great thing about barefoot running, he claims, is that it's going to make you run more on your forefoot than your heels, and therefore you're going to have less impact. And so he says, uh, how one runs is more important than what is on one's feet, but what is on one's feet may affect how one runs. 
But he does acknowledge at the end of this paper, and this was in 2009, I stress the data necessary to test this hypothesis conclusively are not yet available. Got it. Okay, so to sort of further break down what the claims are from the barefoot running crowd. Should I say that? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, Barefoot running uh, advocates. uh, There's four sort of central claims. Uh, One is that forefoot striking is more likely when barefoot. Uh, Two, that forefoot strikes produce less force peaks. So three, lower force peaks produce fewer injuries. And therefore, four, barefoot running leads to fewer injuries. Is that about right? Yeah, I think that's a reasonable um, set of ways to look at it. Uh, There's definitely lots of sort of other sort of secondary claims that like minimalist shoes mimic barefoot running. Um, but just in the interest of getting through this in an hour, <laughs> I think let's let's look at those four claims right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I feel like the way the people have thought about running has changed over time. When my dad was an athlete, a pro athlete in the 70s and 80s, and he's always like, Katie, make sure you run heel first, heel first. And I had this like you know, sort of stuck in my brain is this is the better way to run for you. Um, and now people are saying, oh, four foot striking. Let's do that. Right. <laughs> Fads, the fads, the many fads. Yeah, fat athletic fads, never. So one of the other questions uh, that's come up in the scientific literature is what's a minimalist shoe? Uh, the best uh, definition we have in the literature is footwear providing minimal interference with the natural movement of the foot due to its high flexibility, low heel to toe drop, weight and stack height, and the absence of motion control and stability devices. So yeah, that will cover... Most of what I think people think of as minimal shoes, Vibram, Five Fingers, Sandals. Nike Freeze, probably. Flip-flops are probably. Yeah. (laughs) My Merrill Pace gloves that I love so much. Yeah. Oh, and for the record, we are not being sponsored to name drop any of these in this episode. Although if Nike or Vibram or or whatever wants to give us money, I mean, you know, we're we're right here is all I'm saying. But then we would betray the science, Katie. (gasps) Oh, that's true. That's true. Although, to be fair, that's also a logical fallacy. Just because you uh, receive some money doesn't mean you're inherently wrong. Right. What would be a better solution would be for people to go to patreon.com slash Sirunner (laughs) and give give us some money. Just like uh, our two sponsors we have now, and we appreciate you very much. (laughs) Anyway, this this, uh, little momentary diversion, we'll get back to the science. So this whole uh, minimalist barefoot running topic has been pretty fraught. Uh, But one thing that everyone agrees on is that switching suddenly from sort of your traditional uh, running shoes to barefoot or minimalist shoes is a bad idea. Okay, why is that? (laughs) Well, I, I can kind of guess why that is, but um. yeah, I, I have to say, I once tried a three k three kilometer run in my new Merrill Pace gloves, and the next day when I got out of bed, my shins were just like, nope, 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 <laughs> like, and I just fell over. Yeah, I think I had the same experience when I tried some barefoot running. Yeah. Uh, ages ago. So if you are going to try it after this episode, like definitely ease and slow. You don't want to go more than like a couple hundred meters your first time out. Uh, there are a couple of uh, major things that seem to happen um, if you suddenly switch without uh, without doing it slowly. Uh, one of them that's been reported in the literature uh, are stress fractures and the metatarsals. That's your sort of long bones in your foot. Uh, there's two male runners who uh, developed them after switching to Vibram Five Fingers. Neither one of them altered their training at all, which is definitely not recommended. Right. So they're running 30K and then... Yeah. And then they just switched shoes and it was fine. Even like buying new shoes, even of the same type, I tend to 
break them in. Yeah. So it's kind of shocking that somebody would do that. But anyway. Well, you know, uh, young male runners sometimes do uh, run more than they should, maybe. Mm. Uh, so another study found increases in bone marrow edema in runners who were assigned to run in Vibram Five Fingers during um, in a, over a 10-week period. And so this is actually uh, a, a precursor to potential stress fractures um, of the of the tibia. This is a bad thing. You don't you don't want this to happen. So um, I don't think anyone is claiming out there that suddenly switch to barefoot shoes. Uh, even when you buy barefoot or like minimalist shoes, like you, they say all over the box, don't switch suddenly. It's a bad idea. So the very first claim that uh, that we mention is foot strike. So you're more likely to. Um, to run with a forefoot strike if you're running barefoot and that forefoot strike is associated with less impact and that will lead to lower injury right that's that's their claim yes that's that's the set of claims that we're we're looking at so there's been a few studies um that that tried to examine this that have come out in the time since since born to run uh one of them uh, was of the harvard cross-country team which is a a great thing to study right um because you have all these runners and they keep track of all their training they found that those who heel foot struck were actually significantly more likely to have an injury than those at forefoot struck well so that's uh that's one of the the points supported then for the for the barefoot crowd yeah was was it it a good study well you know it depends how you define a good study Uh, it was 52 runners uh which is you know not a tiny number but it's not not that big they followed them over three years which is um i think pretty reasonable uh you're gonna see a fair number of injuries in that time but of those 52 studies only 16 of them were classified as forefoot strikers and 36 were rear foot strikers so they had very few forefoot strikers in this in this group. And that's just, you know, sort of something you would expect if you, you know, get a bunch of people randomly from the population. The chances are that they're going to, you know, evenly split on your variable of interest is, is not that likely. Okay. Uh, these runners run a lot. Uh, 84% of them experience injury over that three years because they're, they're putting in massive, massive mileage. Um, but they did find that depending on the type and severity of in- injury, their risk of injury increased by two to threefold, which is, you know, that's a fair effect size. Two to threefold if they're rear foot strikers. Uh, yes, compared to okay. a four foot striker. Yeah, right. sorry. But we're still talking about changing from maybe two and a half injuries per 10,000 miles run to five to seven and a half injuries per 10,000 miles run. So that's still not a big effect. They weren't getting injured a lot if you um, average it over sort of their total mileage. Yeah. So so the difference. So, yeah, it's, you say it's 50%, 84%. Wait. Oh, it's double, double the injury rate, right? Right. So... Yeah, so going from so if you're a what a let's say you do 500 miles a year, right? Which is a fairly like average. That's a fair amount. That's yeah, a, that's like a fair amount for that's like a, a ama- good amateur runner. Yeah, I guess. I'd say for a, a reasonable amount for. Yeah, a I'm certain. also thinking like in kilometers and anyways. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Americans. Oh, Americans and their miles. Anyway, so if you were doing 500 miles a year, hmm. right? You would go in twenty years of running. You would have two in two and a half injuries. Yeah, and then if you were a heel foot striker, heel foot striker, you go up to five in twenty years. Yeah, I've had more than two injuries in like a few (laughs) years, so I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, so I think this is definitely like a you know it's an effect that's there, but I think this doesn't really uh, pertain too well to your average or recreational runner. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's kind of a special group. Well, that too, I was kind of wondering, like, these are professionals or people who are training to be professionals. They're still amateur, but yeah, they're like really intense amateurs. They're competitive. Yeah. Another claim uh, that that comes up in our set of claims is that um, minimalist shoes reduce impact forces because they make you run more on your forefoot, which should also reduce your stride length and increase your stride rate. So you may have heard the claim that it's actually better to run at 180 steps per minute, and that's that helps you uh, reduce the amount of force that you land with. Um, and so one study uh, found that running in minimalist shoes actually increased the impact forces and increased the amount that runner's heel struck, but did not uh, change the stride length or the stride rate. Uh, so that doesn't sound like it's backing up the claim. In fact, that sounds quite like the opposite. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't have expected this. Um, this was a, a study that um, had runner 14 men who were all runners um, who normally heel struck in their conventional running shoes. They had them run on, on a treadmill with either Nike Pegasus shoes or Nike Free shoes. Um, and so they had them switch suddenly. Um, between the shoes and then kind of compared the impact forces and their and their heel strike. And they really didn't find that the minimalist shoes decreased heel impact forces. They were actually just heel striking, even though they were in those minimalist shoes and they were experiencing more impact force. Right. But that could be, I mean, because they're switching, it kind of sounds like, I mean, if they're not used to running in those shoes, mm. um, maybe they're, maybe that has an effect on their strike. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. So uh, there's a couple of studies that kind of get at this question in different ways. And and some of this is a bit of a, you know, how how much time do we give people to switch, right? And so 10 weeks in the previous study was definitely not enough to, to switch without injury. Um, this was a, an immediate switch. So let's kind of work through a few studies that, that gave people, you know, more time, let's say, to, to switch shoes. The most recent paper I found uh, was published in 2016, showed when you switch runners um, who normally have a heel strike from regular shoes to minimalist shoes, about one third, uh, regardless of the amount of time you give them, will keep heel striking. Uh, One third will switch to a midfoot strike and one third will switch to a forefoot strike. If they switch to the barefoot strike, they will experience less uh, force on their knees in general. Um, But if they don't switch strike, they're actually going to experience much higher force loading. So, I mean, it, it's yes, if they do manage to switch, that's great. But um, it's really, you can't, not everyone is going to necessarily switch strike and, and maybe only about a third will switch to their forefoot strike. And the other issue is that if they do switch to the forefoot strike, they're actually going to experience more force in their ankles. So <laughs> the knees, right. ankles, pick <clears throat> your poison. <laughs> right. I mean, this is a classic, I think this is, this is a, like a classic problem. I've yeah. This before, but um, wait, the force goes I mean, somewhere. I, yeah, the, I mean, this is the classical problem. The force is going to go somewhere. So whenever you adjust one thing, like there's no there's no free lunch. No, basically. in biomechanics, like if, if, there, if there was a free lunch, it's kind of funny actually. I mean, when you think about it, if if barefoot running was across the board better, then every athlete who would have tried barefoot running would be like, okay, I'm just going to barefoot run from now on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, and then everybody would do that. So, but what happens is that instead of getting injuries on their knees what you're saying is some of them then end up getting injuries elsewhere well so this was just looking strictly at the biomechanics and not necessarily the injury rate. oh right sorry the force force peaks yes the force peaks but uh, we'll see how that kind of translates into injuries as we right. as we go along right. too for sure
So Nigel, you mentioned that we need to give people lots of time um, to switch to really see what the effects are on their running style. Well, that's what I would expect. Yeah. You know, switching switching anything rapidly is, is going to cause problems. Definitely. So let's let's give them more time. Let's let's say instead of like 10 weeks or a couple of months, let's give them say their entire lives. Right. I mean, this this is yeah. I mean, and this is actually you know some of the claims in Board and Run and some of the claims in in Daniel Lieberman's work is that if we were to look at people who grew up barefoot running their entire lives, we would expect to see um, that they might be more likely to forefoot strike. Would be their their prediction out of sort of their model of the way that barefoot running works. So, uh, you know, this is kind of an interesting. Uh, topic because it turns out it depends what peoples you look at. So in the uh, Kalinjin speaking peoples of Western Kenya, uh, many people grew up barefoot. Well, a large number now wear shoes. So Daniel Lieberman and his colleagues compared a group of students who run or walk an average of seven and a half kilometers a day to and from school barefoot to those who run in shoes. And as you might expect, the barefoot runners have a higher step rate and were more likely to land on their forefoot than the rear foot. But there is a problem with this study. Uh, wah, wah. I know, I know. So this is kind of the, oh, wait. Wah, the wah. Yeah, wah, wah. this is the downside, of course, of this kind of research is you can't experimentally manipulate people if you're you're going to take advantage of this sort of natural pattern that that's going on. Uh, the barefoot running group was younger, so they were 15 versus 25, and they were also lighter. They were uh, they averaged about seven kilograms less. So this might actually have impacted their running style. It might be that everyone, you know, runs on their forefoot as, like, teenagers. Right, right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess if you were comparing crawling infants to (laughs) grown runners, it's going to be a bit of a different style. (laughs) Definitely. You're like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, if you want to go really paleo, you should be crawling. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, brachiating would be the the best, you know, swinging from tree top to tree top would be super paleo. I mean, really, we should have just never made it out of the water in the yeah, first place. Yeah, go swimming. <laughs> swimming, swimming. Swimming is the, where it's at. The original paleo running. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so uh, Daniel Lieberman also made it out to the Harahuamara people, which are the, the hidden tribe in Mexico that uh, were featured in, in Born to Run. Yeah. And uh, they he studied uh, people who wore huaraches. Those were those super minimalist sandals that were talked about a lot in the book. And uh, he found among them, about a third of them still strike rear foot, a third midfoot, and a third forefoot, just like that study that switched people. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but those who wore Western style running shoes, 75% strike rear foot and 25 midfoot. Okay. So you, you definitely get more people striking rear foot in conventional running shoes. Right. But there's still lots of people running in those minimalist uh, footwear who grew up that way um, who still rear foot strike. Yeah. So it's not an absolute causation. No. 100%, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Another study uh, that was conducted by a completely unrelated research group that haven't been really pushing this whole barefoot running thing, uh, uh, they looked at the Dasanach people of northern Kenya, and they found most actually preferred a rear foot strike, even, um, even amongst those who grew up barefoot uh but at higher running speeds they would actually switch from a to a midfoot or a forefoot strike but similarly the hadza people of northern tanzania all exclusively use a rear foot or midfoot strike with no forefoot strikers at all and they're barefoot yeah and they're barefoot so 
you know, it seems to me like it's a real mixed bag. It's, it's as if anecdotes are bad data. Wow. So the plural of anecdote <laughs> is not data? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if we have people who grow up and live habitually either barefoot or in minimalist shoes, they don't always forefoot strike. Who is to actually say the ancestral condition of human beings in general is to forefoot strike? Right. And like one of the problems, and it's in the in the subtitle of the book, which is he calls the Tarahumara a hidden tribe. Uh, which is kind of interesting because they have been studied and known about for a while. So I wouldn't call them that hidden. <laughs> right. But um, I have anthropology fan- friends who hate that whole hidden tribe thing. Yeah. I mean, there are not a lot of hidden. I think there's like maybe a few in the Amazon that they. Well, and they're not even that hidden because no. uh, the Brazilian gov- government has actually made a policy that, yes, we know about these people and we're going to leave them be. Yeah. So they're very, very. It's, yeah. There's basically nowhere on the planet that hasn't been explored. Um. But but the title itself also lends itself, and, and discussion of Taramar, uh also kind of uh, lends itself to this sort of uh, this concept of the noble savage. Yeah, you know? which is you know really unfortunate. It is a bit funny, uh, and it's but there's kind of something funny here actually. So if if you don't know what a noble savage is, a noble savage is this uh, literary stock character uh, where which embodies the concept of this sort of idealized indigenous uh outsider of civilization uh you know who has not been corrupted and therefore symbolizes humanity's innate goodness it's a it's really a literary trope that kind of dehumanizes real indigenous peoples yeah exactly and but this is the part that i kind of find hilarious is that yeah the phrase noble savage first appeared in a poem from 1672 called the conquest of granada I am as free as nature first made man, ere the base laws of servitude began, when wild in woods the noble savage ran. So it's kind of funny because it's about running, <laughs> right? <laughs> like right. the original noble savage trope was about the running yeah. indigenous person in the in the in the right. in the woods. So Chris McDougall may have sort of you know borrowed some of this idea i think yeah and then he writes about indigenous people running in the woods i mean it's kind of hilarious well you know the canyons but yeah right um canyons woods yeah yeah sure uh canyons wait we're talking about the star more yeah canyons oh canyons Mm -hmm. i thought you were saying canyons oh canyons 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 (laughs) canyons no no no. we're talking about the they're mexico katie where are you you're mixed up here no Oh, you Mexican Kenyans. Kenyans. There's probably Kenyans now in Mexico or, yeah. Wait, there's, oh my God. <laughs> in the Mexican Ken- Kenyans. Kenyans in the Canyons. So, um, you know, the, the thing that I find most hilarious about all of this. What's that? Is that people really don't even know how they foot strike. Like if you think that you're a four foot striker, you're probably not. Right. Which, yeah, I, also, I find that interesting too because. I mean, I I think I'm striking one way or the other, but once you told me that, I've given up <laughs> trying to trying to decide what how I am a striker. So uh, one study found that um, people think they switch to a four foot strike when they switch to minimalist shoes, uh, but the study showed that of all the runners that they recruited that wore minimalist shoes, only fifty eight percent accurately reported what their strike pattern actually was so better than a a coin flip Uh, slightly slightly yeah uh they also found that if you happen to rear foot strike uh while wearing minimalist shoes you actually have significantly higher impact forces again um and it's even worse than the traditional shoe wearers so um you know switching again even if you do it for months and months um 
you, if you're not really forefoot striking, you're definitely causing more impact force um, to be experienced. Uh, this study actually found 60 people um, who had been wearing minimalist shoes for at least uh, two years. So this is not a, a sudden switch kind of study. Mm-hmm. And uh, even still, they found that that these minimalist runners, not all of them were, were forefoot striking, and they were experiencing high-impact forces from that those rear foot strikes. So we've been mentioning these sort of four central claims at Born to Run um, – you know, sort of brought out there and that some of the the researchers who've been working on the topic have, have put forward. And that's one thing for a scientific, you know, sort of community to make these claims, but uh, hanging your entire business model off of them? Right. Maybe not such a good thing. <clears throat> yeah. So there was this lawsuit, which was pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Nigel uh, likes lawsuits. I, 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 I like lawsuits. I'm a, I'm a pretend lawyer, so I've got <laughs> my, I've got my PLLB. Yeah, hashtag is pretend that, lawyers. Yeah, is that like your uh, Google medical degree? Yeah, I've got the Google medical. De- I've got my WebMD medical degree and my pretend lawyer's degree. So, but yeah, anyway, so this lawsuit that with with Vibram. So the, there's a couple of things on both sides of it which are kind of funny. So one of the big problems from from my perspective, which is kind of like a counter to what a lot of people think is the, the problem, right, is like a lot of people mistake what it is the courts do, and they don't really ascertain the scientific legitimacy of the claims. Courts are not peer review of science. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's simply whether or not they ha- – what the courts do is they check to see if, if they simply have any basis. So what do you mean by that? Like – uh, that somewhere out there, there exists people who have made the claim already for them, or right. Well, let me just let me just back up a bit and, and talk about what Vibram's claims sure. were, and then well, I'll mention SketchUp's for a good example of this. So, okay, pr- problem was was that Vibram was making uh, f- about five claims without any sci- well, without any scientific backing, backing, and those claims were that one. Uh, strengthens muscles in the feet and lower legs. That wearing, sorry, that wearing their shoes that does all of these things. The is what five they're claiming, finger right? shoes, right? The five finger shoes specifically. So those are the goofy ones the army doesn't like. Yeah. Uh, one that it strengthens muscles in the feet and lower legs. Two that it improves range of motion in the ankles, feet, and toes. Three stimulates neural function important to balance and agility. Four eliminates heel lift to align the spine and improve posture. And five allow the foot and body to move naturally. Huh. Yeah, so these these claims were made uh, b- before any of the studies we just talked about even came out. Right. And there weren't really any studies out there saying any of this. Sci- you know, there was no scientists, I don't think, that especially some of these. Some of these are crazy, like neural function, stimulate neural function. I don't know. That seems bizarre. I think they're trying to get at proprioception there, but... Right. I mean, that's not really... Uh, yeah, that... Yeah, proprioception right. studies are also not very well done at the moment yeah and i think it's interesting here to remember though that they may not be wrong i just want to i <laughs> right. just want to throw that out there they may not actually be wrong it's just that there's no studies saying that they're right so it's not like there's evidence that those things are wrong it's that just that there's an absence of evidence right so let me just talk about shape ups was this other one uh, there was a, there was a lawsuit against another shoe company on Skechers. Being a shoe company sued seems to be a really popular thing, <laughs> but uh, Skechers got uh, got sued uh, because they claimed that their shoes, which were called shape ups, uh, deceptively advertised 
uh, it's toning shoes, including making unfounded claims that it's shape up shoes would help people lose weight, strengthen and tone their buttocks, legs and abdominal muscles. Ooh, I want those. Can I be a model after I wear them? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, on, on the face, the claims look kind of, I mean, they look pretty absurd, but it was, you know, pe- people re- see this and they buy into it, right? They're like, oh, these shoes are going to somehow make me fitter. Um, or they're going to burn more fat or whatever somehow. I mean, what magical methodology that would be. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's wise to point out that it's not that shape-ups made you fatter, for example. They just they just didn't do what they claimed, right? Um, which was help you lose weight in some way or strengthen your muscles. But they certainly didn't do the opposite, but simply the claims were unfounded. So the thing that, that was – and the same thing applies to Vibrams. Vibrams? Vibrams? <laughs> the same applies <laughs> – the same applies to Vibrams, um, is that they made these claims and, you know, they, they ended up have, finding that there's no medic, uh, scientific basis. Uh, there was a Harvard medical professor, Dr. Irene Davis, who was actually in charge of a study who, that was funded by Vibram. Uh, and she then that study concluded that, or rather, that study did not recommend any particular running style, nor did it recommend any particular type of running shoes. Ergo, the claims are false. But that being said, like, they weren't. The problem, the thing that I'm kind of like annoyed by is media coverage. <laughs> right. And people hate these shoes because they don't like how they look. Yeah. So, I, well, even the army doesn't like how they look. So Yeah. And so there was a lot of like media coverage where it's like, oh, see, haha, minimalist shoes are bad for you. And the lawsuit really wasn't saying that at all. Yeah. And the court did not find that, you know, five finger shoes are going to hurt you or, you know. All they found was that there wa- there was an absence of evidence that they did any, you know, sort of were able to fulfill any of these claims that Vibram made. Yeah, exactly. And despite, I mean, there was those guys that did get injured, but mm. that was not necessarily caused by the shoe. Well, you I know. I mean, that was caused by switching possibly. But, you know, they didn't necessarily determine anything like that. Yeah. You know, I think it was really interesting watching people's facebook feeds going oh my god those shoes were so dumb and look now they're bad for you and a court case has shown that no so it's a little bit like saying just because someone wasn't found guilty doesn't mean they didn't do the crime right and here's the kind of funny thing about this is that i had some arguments online about this which people got really emotional about these things i don't know why but um (laughs) you know people get invested i suppose yeah people get invested uh but the, the really funny thing is is that people were saying like some some of the people that I was arguing with were saying, ah, oh, well, you know, this is just an appeal to nature. Um, you know, this whole sort of paleo running movement is is BS because of that, which is totally, you know, which is not wrong to say that. But then they would follow it up with hilariously another fallacy, <laughs> which is an appear, appeal to traditionalism. Uh, a similar thing to appeal to nature in a way, but it's instead of appealing to what is natural, it's appealing to this is right because we've always done it this way. So they would say, hey, I, we've, I, you know, all the people I know have been running in traditional shoes for 20 years and they haven't got, you know, so this is how we've always done it. So these shoes are better, which is also not a correct way of looking at things. <laughs> right. It's, Either way, th- like none of that has any bearing on whether the claims are true or false. Yeah. And it just cracks me up that there's people on both sides of the argument that are using fallacious arguments. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, that's the that's the way we humans do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day... Uh, for me, uh, what I'm interested in is regardless of impact forces or strike, are you a better off running in shoes or not? I mean, Daniel Lieberman's point stands. We've had 
30, 40 years of, you know, changes in running shoe technology and injury rates in runners have remained the same. So, yeah. you know, maybe switching to barefoot shoes, maybe maybe it could reduce injury rates. Uh, there was one study. Uh, it was a prospective study. So the nice thing is they, they have their, their experimental group that's defined ahead of time. And so you don't run into the same issues as you did with that Harvard cross-country team study. And they actually found that uh, minimalist shoes actually increase the rate of injury. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so we're done here. We're done here. That's the that's the the verdicts out. No. No. Uh, you know, and like all these kind of intermediate claims, like really for me, come down to okay, right? What, so, what happens with injury rates? Right. So anyway, how reliable was this study? What what was let's. Tell, 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 tell us about this study. Yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day, if you get nothing else from the SciRunner podcast is that s- studies vary in how reliable and how, str- you know, I think Im- strongly you should take their conclusion. How much salt do you take when you listen to the results of the study? And one of the major variables is the number of runners. Now, one of this study in particular had 103 runners, um, which is pretty good for this kind of in-depth study. I- I'm impressed. And they excluded anyone who'd been injured in the past six months, as well as anyone who had used minimalist shoes. And they split the runners into either a a group that received Nike Pegasus shoes. That's a pretty neutral, normal, sort of traditional shoe. Nike Freeze, which are kind of this sort of partial minimalist shoe. You've run in those, Yeah, I've run in those before. Yeah. Well, they were okay. (laughs) (laughs) What didn't you like about them? Oh, I think they expired faster than they didn't last very long oh they fell apart they fell apart but then they like fixed that in the next version or something like that so i I don't know and uh, then the third group received these vibram five fingers that we've been talking so much about now the important thing for me is they actually only had the runners run in their assigned shoes um for up to 58 percent of the training volume so they weren't doing it the entire time Uh, they were given 12 weeks to ramp up from not wearing minimalist shoes at all to running like their 50% 50% of their training volume in the minimalist shoes. So I would say, you know, 12 weeks is is not a bad amount of time to switch, right? Right. And they ran the fall. Did you mess with the fall classic? Oh, the fall classic. Yeah. So they ran a yeah, 10K were... race uh, here in Vancouver. That 10K? I, I thought it was a half. Uh, there is a, a half and a 10K, but this particular race um, in the study so, was a 10K. Right. So what did they find about uh, these runners? Uh, the minimalist runners became super athletes. Yeah. No, actually. So the full minimalist um, shoes runners, they actually reported significantly higher shin and calf pain than both of the other groups. Uh, but it was the runners with the partial minimalist shoes that had the highest rates of injury. Sweet, the ones I was running in. Yes. <laughs> I did not get injured. Oh, that's good. That's Anecdote. Good. Anecdote trumps. and trumps the evidence. Uh, runners wearing the full minimalist shoes had 1.6 times the rate of injury of the runners wearing the sort of traditional shoes, although that wasn't statistically significantly different. Uh, but runners wearing the partial minimalist shoes had three times the rate of injury. So, uh, Can I? Yeah, sure. Was this like a similar rate of injury to the other study? Like three per 10,000 miles? No, it was much higher than okay, that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, and, you know, this is what you would kind of expect in recreational runners that aren't being, um, that aren't being, like, closely monitored like the cross-country team was. Um, but what I really got out of this study that I think is kind of interesting, and, and people have 
also suggested this, is that full minimalist shoes uh, reduce injuries compared to partial minimalist shoes because they make it hurt before you actually injure yourself. Of course, right. <laughs> Which kind of makes sense. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah, so you might actually run a little differently or you might actually run a little less. And so, mm. Okay, so that was with some minimalist running shoes though, right? Mm-hmm. So that was still with at least some amount of shoe. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't barefoot. So what about what about total barefoot running? I mean, is that even a little bit more different or? Yeah. So there was one study um, that uh, it looked at people who run barefoot as sort of a regular um, deal. And it turns out the, the injury rate um, answer is kind of complicated. Uh, in 2015, this uh, paper in the British Journal of Sports Medicine uh again, uh, conducted a perspective study. So they select a bunch of people, follow them over time, which is definitely an advantage uh, for because you can um, keep your own records, make sure the study's balanced. And they had 200 runners who'd been running for more than six months. And the barefoot runners were defined as people who ran at least 50% of their mileage completely barefoot, and the other 50% wearing only minimalist shoes, so like Vibrams or something else. And they actually followed these runners for a year. So this is probably the biggest, best study I've seen on barefoot or minimalist running yet. Nice. Yeah. And and what did they find? Uh, They found that the barefoot runners experienced significantly fewer injuries over that year. Okay. Well, jury's out the other way. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, God, you, you really, you really messing with me here, Katie. It's bad. It's good. I don't. It's good. It's bad. It's almost like science is complicated and messy. <laughs> But, you know, it wasn't a big effect. It was 1.66 injuries per person per year in the shoe wearers versus 1.17 in the habitually barefoot running group. So that's half an injury per person per year. How do you get How do you get half an injury? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> My big toe kind of hurts today. Is that a half injury? <laughs> no, that's still an injury. How do you get half an injury? Uh, so <laughs> on average. Um, but uh, the, the thing that's also hard with human studies, like we can't assign people to training regimes. Like if they, you know, it, it, there's always this trade-off between controlling all the variables versus like letting people do what they normally do, right? Um, so the barefoot runners actually ran a lot less than the traditionally shod runners. They ran 24 kilometers a week versus 40. So if you actually look at injury rate per person per mileage, it's exactly the same between the two groups. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but so, the, so what? So what you're saying is it doesn't matter. It, yeah, it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, the barefoot runners did sustain more foot injuries, uh, which was the most common type of injury in the whole whole uh, paper. While the shoe traditional shoe runners sustained more knee and hip injuries. Thirty uh, percent of the barefoot runners experienced cuts, bruises, and blisters as well. While only six percent of the shod runners did. Um, the interesting thing for me, actually, is that the people who normally run barefoot have a three-minute longer five-kilometer race time than the shod runners. So they're slower. Yeah, they're three, slower. Which, and that's come up in a few studies, actually. That's interesting. Three minutes was the exact difference in Bikola's uh, <laughs> shod versus unshod marathon time. Well, there you go. Wear shoes, be three minutes slower, regardless of what distance you're running. No, three minutes faster. <laughs> three minutes faster, sorry. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, and also the barefoot group had more men than women in it, which is another thing that comes up in these studies, that men are more likely to run barefoot than women. Um, and you would expect men are usually faster runners. So this seems to be a pretty big time penalty, and it's probably related to their lower training mileage. So, you know, it, it depends what your purpose for running is. But if you want to be a faster runner, 
uh, it sounds like running in shoes is a better option because you're going to be able to handle more training mileage. And the other thing that comes out of the study is it's not that you're changing how much gets, like how likely you are to get hurt. It's what gets hurt. So. Right. Yeah. You know. Again, back to that. There's no free lunch. It's always a give and take. Yeah. I um, you, I really think so. save impact on one area. You're going to have more impact on another area. Um, yeah. I it's, mean. It's I, the classic box boxer glove thing. Oh, or, the boxer glove thing. What's that? <laughs> oh, I think it's, I don't know if this is true. So the thing is, without boxing gloves, people get all these hand injuries because, you know, well, you're punching somebody and then they put boxing gloves on. And now because they can hit harder without damaging their hands, they get more face injuries on the opponent. So it's kind of this give and take thing. I don't know if that's true. I'm just could be making this up. Okay. Well, now <laughs> I'm going to have to look at the hard at the study. science over here in this corner, <laughs> yeah. in this corner, the, the anecdotal storytelling. Uh, well, you know, maybe it makes sense. Um, but, you know, I think... Like there is, you know, a possibility if you were really prone to hip or knee injury or you had a hip or knee injury and you decided to to run barefoot or minimalist, you might actually be better off. Um, but there's no evidence that one is intrinsically better um, other than maybe minimalist running will reduce how much you run because it hurts your feet and makes you run less. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's I don't think there's a real clear answer here. Um, one, a review of the clinical evidence in, in 2013 concluded basically this. Injuries like tibial stress fractures, knee pain, and plantar fasciitis uh, might actually be um, more, less likely if you barefoot run, while injuries like stress fractures in the metatarsals and Achilles tendon are increased by barefoot running. So six of one, half a dozen of another, pick your poison. Fantastic. So where does this get us to, Nigel? Right, so let's uh, let's just recap the four claims, the four central claims. Okay. I think of the of the barefoot running crowd. Okay. Um, so, and yeah, and are they true or are they false? <laughs> You're like each each question. She's gonna say maybe. <laughs> yeah, it you know, like it's complicated. It's complicated. So the first one is back to this. Uh, forefoot striking is more likely when barefoot. This really doesn't seem to be true. Uh, people who switch to barefoot shoes don't always change gait. Some of them do, some don't. People who grew up running barefoot, um, if we look at uh, native peoples who do this, they still heel strike. People are really bad at knowing how their foot, how their uh, whether they're heel stri striking or forefoot striking. So this one I would say is completely false. All right. Second claim is forefoot strikes produce less force peaks. Uh, force loading studies show variation. Some show higher, some lower. Uh, there's not really clear evidence this, this is the case, or it may be that where that force is experienced changes if you barefoot versus a uh, traditional shoe run, but there's not an overall decrease in force Right. on average. it Again, it's complicated, but... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And the third one is uh, lower force peaks produce fewer injuries. Uh, we didn't look exactly at studies that um, that really examined this because this is a hard thing. You can't just sort of apply force peaks to people and <laughs> <laughs> right and go stomp harder, stomp harder, and then see what their injury and, rate is. Yeah, but go injure uh, yourself so we can. Yeah, I mean, I would say this is probably generally uh, true in the sense that you know where we're seeing higher force peaks in the ankles and in, in barefoot runners, and they they seem to have higher um, like Achilles tendon injury rates, um, but. So this may, I would say, probably true. Okay. Uh, and barefoot running leads to fewer injuries. Uh, I would say definitely not. Um, they lead to different kinds of injuries, but the injury mm. rate doesn't vary. 
Now, I I would also say it's also true that they don't seem to increase injury rates. So that's a good thing. Right, right. So it's, yeah, running barefoot's not going to kill you. Yeah. And so, yeah, one, one or the other doesn't really make much difference, basically. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if I were to summarize this, uh, you know, honestly, I say wear what makes you comfortable. You know, if you like how minimalist sh- shoes feel, wear them. Just, if you want to run barefoot. Yeah, give it a go. Um, I would suggest don't run where there's used needles or broken glass on the ground. That's probably probably not a I good think thing. That's fairly obvious. Yeah, well, you know, you never know. Don't run with scissors. Uh, don't switch super fast if you're going to switch uh, switch to some minimalist shoes, but don't assume that they're going to fix all of your problems. Don't believe the hype. Oh yeah, the hype. Oh man, the hype. We didn't talk about the fad. Oh. Thing we totally yeah. Oh. Anyway. Well, I'll just say it now because it's kind of funny. So the the whole thing was was when that Born, Born to Run book came out in two thousand nine. Yeah. Um. There was we'll post this on our website. There's these hilarious Google trends where you just see this massive leap in interest in minimalism, barefoot running, and then it goes away because it's a fad. We're just about back down to baseline now. It yeah. peaked in two thousand eleven, um, and it's been slowly decreasing ever since. And then the hilarious thing is that the fad is dead just in time for all the actual science to come out and yeah. tell people what is what is real. So, Which I think is kind of a problem in general. I mean, it takes a long time to do these good studies. And like some of these studies that take a year or two, you know, to follow athletes, like it takes a year or two to set them up. It takes some time to analyze the data and get the paper published at the end. So we're just at the peak time now for all these all this great science to come out. And uh, the fat is already dead. Yeah. And now you've got shoes that are huge. <laughs> I know. I don't even know. <laughs> how, how did it go the other way? I don't even understand. It's so fast. It's so bizarre. Anyway. But if there's anything I can tell you for sure, unless you're feeling really terrible today, go for a run. Just just do it. Whatever you're wearing on your feet, just just try it out. Right. Whatever you're wearing on your feet. Go running in those dress shoes. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Although there are high-heeled races. I wouldn't yeah. recommend them biomechanically. But, uh... Yeah, they look terrible. There's actually a YouTube video of a girl bailing in a high-heeled oh, race. Oh, wow. And it looks, looks pretty awful. Oh, yeah. Don't don't run in um, high heels. Yeah. It's it's like a high heel sprint. It's not even oh, like, it's like a hundred meter sprint yeah, in high heels. It's sounds insane. like a good way to get injured. Yeah. Terrible. But yeah. Uh, so yeah. So no high heels. That's our final recommendation. <laughs> yeah. For all our show notes and sources for all the science we talked about, visit our website at sidrunner.com and feel free to send us your science of running questions or tweet us at sidrunner. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sidrunner. This has been the SciRunner Podcast, your source for all things science and running. And if you'd like to support this podcast, feel free to go over to patreon.com slash SciRunner and buy us a coffee or something, for God's sake. <laughs> We're hungry. We <laughs> We're <haven't> hungry. <laughs> scientists don't make, make any money, so yeah. I'm not the scientist, but. Oh, well, yeah. Katie. Bad, bad, Katie. What you really need is like one of those spray bo- bottles for cats. <laughs> 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 Down, Katie. <laughs> no, I-